Zalofa and welcome to the Pacific Wayfinder. I'm Eliora Malifa and in today's episode we're going to be talking about the controversial Samoan elections. We're very fortunate to have three guests on the program today. Sawia Louise Matei Amilo, Dean of the Faculty of Arts at the National University of Samoa, has been directly involved with the elections on the ground in Samoa. She is currently leading research with the National University of Samoa on the elections. Dr. Rowani Ashu joins us from the Department of Pacific Affairs at the Australian National University and also led the Australian National University's observation of the 2016 Samoan elections. Salah Dr. George Carter is a research fellow in geopolitics and regionalism, also with the Department of Pacific Affairs and is director of the Pacific Institute at the Australian National University. All of our guests today have been keenly following everything to do with the elections, not only having a vested interest because of their academic work, but also their involvement as Samoans. I say this days after the announcement that the April elections are void and a new election has been called on May 21st. We recorded this podcast before that announcement, but obviously the themes discussed in this conversation are still pertinent to ongoing analysis of the election and the comments it makes on the state of politics in Samoa. So, Malo Sofo, everybody, how are you all? Malo Sofo, Eliora, Fatalofa, Atule, Payamal, Malo Samo. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for having me. Talofa, love everyone. Malo Sofo, Langima, Fatalofa, Tufulta, Tofa, Fongolini, Taimbode, Aso. Yeah, Malo for Iate Oto. Thank you for joining me today. I'm going to start with you, Sawia. For those of us who are not familiar, would you mind please giving a brief rundown on how a Samoan election works? Thank you. Uh, I'll just uh, give a quick uh, uh, historical rundown of how we came about to to, uh, the way elections are run in Samoa. Um, As uh, we all know, we inherited the Westminster model of politics and uh, leadership uh, from the colonial administration who started with consensus politics. But political development and issues since uh, independence, such as parliamentary politics, uh, which were very conservative and uh, in nature, when we took the Western uh, Western uh, Minister model and uh, adapted it to fit uh, the Samoan context, uh, now the Samoan context is very important. Uh, the general election of 1970, uh, uh, it was really uh, Matai suffrage, uh, and up until the um, the early 1990s when there was a lot of pressure but not just uh, the time was right to uh, uh, for the uh, government to make uh, the Samoan election the general elections become um, uh, universal suffrage and it's been that way uh, since uh, um, and it's uh, the elections happen every uh, five years now and up till now, we've had uh, uh, one party that has been um, in government uh, since it came on in uh, 1982. Uh, with uh, it, uh, that is the HRPP party. Uh, the elections it started the that party started in 1979. Uh, 
and what is happening today uh, is exactly uh, uh, or similar uh, circumstances that uh, brought about uh, HRPP to uh, uh, the fore and uh, controlled uh, the politics of the country. Thank you so much for that brief rundown, Sawi'a. So, um, given that you're on the ground in Samoa right now, would you mind also please giving an overview of the Samoan or the 2021 Samoan election as it currently stands? Well, the 2021 election has certainly uh, uh, changed the way Samoans have uh, thought about elections and thought about their involvement and participation in uh, politics and the decisions and how to make uh, bring about changes. One thing that we need to understand is that it's not just during the election and during the election campaigns that we see these uh, attitudes uh, being brought forward. It has been a long time in the making uh, this change, so one can actually use the term that it's got the making of a revolution here. Uh, but uh, a less uh, violent one yet. Uh, but uh, right now, with the elections, where it, it's you know it's deadlock at the moment, and there's uh, everyone's going to the courthouse now to reason out uh, um, and who's going to win and the uh, and to interpret the law and the constitution. Uh, so it comes down to that. But the elections and how it was run, uh, I think it was good leading up. But it's at the end where the uh, where uh, the voting uh, uh, and the two sides came equal or almost equal that uh, became the turning point uh, in uh, uh, this election. Thank you again, Sawia. Um, I want to talk a bit about the gender quota now, uh, given the impact that it's had on this election. What are some of your reflections on the gender quota now and in the past? Uh, Dr. Rowani, we'll start with you. What comparisons could you make to the 2016 election where you took a team of researchers to observe? Thanks, Hilawara. Well, first of all, it's um, such a shame that due to COVID, we weren't able to travel and carry on with our in-depth observations to make accurate comparisons between the last election in March 2016 and the latest election. Um, and so I guess following on from what Sawita had rightly said, some of the commentary that is out there on social media um, is exactly that, right? It's, it's comments compared to, I guess, the sort of in-depth research that we had carried out um, to make our informed opinions, I suppose. Um, and so in the last election, um, there was a lot of discussion on the parliamentary gender quota, and at the time it was often referred to as the 10% law. Um, it was widely accepted, although highly debated, so it's interesting then um, to see that there's a lot of awareness of the gender quota and that it was enacted with one seat. Um, but this time round, the gender quota, I guess, has caused even more controversy. And so I think it'll be interesting to see um, what the reflections are from everyone about the gender quota now compared to how it was in the 2016 election. So we are, do you have any thoughts on the gender quota? Well, I don't have much to say about the gender quota, but it's there uh, for the youth. Uh, 
uh, it was used in the last uh, election, uh, and it should be used again if, if it is there. But right uh, uh, now, um, that call should have come from, uh, um, it should have been cleared before it was publicized. Uh, and I say that uh, after uh, the OEC um, office uh, released all the other uh, information about the winners and uh, who did not make the, uh, uh, who weren't uh, successful. And then uh, each party went to camp and do their caucus uh, 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 meetings. And you begin to see this uh, um, uh, political tactics. And mind you, these are what you expect to happen at the end of every election. It's not new. It's a way, it's, uh, it's just a, uh, as some of the people, it, it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, it's just the nature of politics that you will use uh, all your ideas to uh, improve your representation and the party representation. That is just the nature of political, of, of party politics. Uh, so while everyone else is all up in arms, uh, those who understand party politics are just uh, sitting and uh, uh, looking at the, the different strategies in which the two po uh, political parties, right, right now there are two. Uh, uh, obviously there, are, there have been debates uh, um, about uh, who is uh, um, theoretically independent or practically belonging to other uh, parties, uh, that remains to be uh, uh, decided by the individual and by the, uh, the, uh, by the law. Uh. I just also wanted to comment on that and say um, that I've heard a lot of commentary also that the law is clear, right? People are saying the law is clear. But I guess if it was clear, there wouldn't be any debate. From the last election, the party votes for the Human Rights Political Party, HRPP, is actually quite similar between 2021 and 2016 based on the preliminary data that we have from the OEC. So I'm not too sure how valid the argument is about um, party politics being vastly different where everyone now supports um, fast because the, I guess, the statistical analysis kind of shows that um, the party votes are actually very similar. So we're in 2016, that was 57%. And based on current data available, uh, which aren't the official results, I have to say, um, it's about 54%. So Salah, you're someone who's observed regional dynamics with regard to climate change discussions. Uh, what do you think the implications of the current state of the Samoan election are on the region? So with these current elections uh, in Samoa, it's not just Samoa holding its breath uh, as to what the courts will say about the outcome. Uh, countries from the outside, but also uh, the Pacific region, are holding its breath as to the result of what's happening in Samoa. And there's a lot of reasons why this is uh, so. Tulaipa has been the longest-serving democratic elected leader in the Pacific for quite some time. And he has brought to the region his personality, but also his foreign policy um, predictability in regional politics. He is someone that uh, younger 
or new uh, regional leaders from around the Pacific, as well as uh, partner countries outside of the Pacific who work within the Pacific, look to in uh, providing guidance, uh, but also um, guidance in existing partnerships, but also moving forward, uh, especially around regional agenda. Um, he himself, uh, the individual, is an institution. He brings with him a knowledge of working within the Pacific. Um, and he also has a very pragmatic and progressive foreign policy that is about sustainable economic development. And, you know, and part of that is, is very selective in terms of particular partners that he works with. Um, and that's something uh, that has uh, brought... Um, recognition for uh, Samoa uh, in its role not only in the Pacific but also uh, in glo global international relations. But at the same time, Fiamme, while in HRPP, as the Deputy Prime Minister, uh, has been working behind the scenes in international relations and foreign policy. Her ministerial portfolios in education, justice, community development, and most recently in environment, uh, she has been exposed to a lot of regional politics and uh, as well as international politics, whether it be Chancellor of the University of South Pacific or spearheading uh, gender initiatives, uh, regional initiatives around sports and arts, um, as well as uh, leading international campaigns uh, on climate change. Uh, Fiamme has that uh, similar wisdom, but also experience in regional politics but of course, in the 40 years that HRPP has been in power, the main person or the main institution that countries from the outside uh, have been working with Samoa has been Tula Epa. So at the moment, it's not necessarily stability of the Pacific, but uh, rather I would call it the predictability of the work uh, within the region. And it's something that's very important because there's two main regional uh, uh, areas uh, where leadership, not only whether it be Tulaipa or whether it be Fiamme, but it should be from Samoa that is needed right now. Firstly, is around the leader, uh, the, lead, the membership of the Pacific Islands Forum. Um, in the, this current week, we've uh, looked at the work of, uh, we've heard the work of Troika in trying to appease or uh, work with uh, Micronesia. And when this issue uh, of the five Micronesian countries leaving um, the Pacific Island Forum started in February, the name Tula Epa was brought up. And, uh, you know, his presence, or whether it be Fiamme's presence in this dialogue, is essential uh, for the Pacific Islands uh, family or the Pacific Island uh, Regional Forum. Secondly, because of the wisdom and the experience that both Tula Epa and Fiamme have in terms of climate change. This year is a big year for international politics on climate change as we lead on to uh, the Conference of Parties in Glasgow. And this uh, the prolonged um, uncertainty of the elections and the outcome of it in Samoa is also taking up time because both these leaders have been champions in climate change and the Pacific are looking for uh, that sort of leadership and guidance from its 
all its ministers uh, in the Pacific leading up to this forum. And so um, as this prolonged uncertainty um, continues within domestic politics in Samoa, the world loses out, the region loses out on that um, political championship or that political will uh, that Samoa has been leading on uh, for many, many years. Nice. Thank you, Salah. Um, you mentioned our incumbent Prime Minister a number of times there. I know for me, as an active member of a Samoan transnational community here in Australia, Zuilaipa, and for that matter, Samoan politics can be quite polarizing for those of our community who have lived or who are currently living outside. Um, would you all have any reflections on the influence of those outside Samoa looking at the election and how it's unfolding? Um... Uh, yes, I do. Uh, and I speak with experience because I live in the village. It's, uh, I am an academic. I live in the village. I had a, a, my, a spouse who was running uh, for the election. And so you see that uh, side of things uh, uh, as a spouse of someone who ran the election, in the election and lost the election. Uh, uh, in terms of the diaspora, yes, it has. The diaspora has been that invisible hand uh, in swaying uh, 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 the vote uh, um, on the ground here in Samoa. In saying that, however, um, I would like to, uh, to, to raise some criticism also of our diaspora. Um, uh, population because uh, there are, mind you, there are different uh, uh, levels of uh, understanding elections as well. Uh, it polarizes our families, uh, uh, and it's still uh, uh, those uh, uh, block votes by families as well on who they're voting. During the, the leading up to the election, you see a whole lot of uh, big families come together on who they were going to support. And you also have now with the uh, the access to technology, those who are overseas are also in that meeting because you have these live messengers and, and all that. And what I found is that uh, while the people on the ground consider these things because they have met the, um, the, um, the candidates, have talked about the changes that they wanted, there seems to be always this anchor. It's, it's the... Um, <laughs> Ole, ole, ole. It, they're angry. Uh, and when you have an angry mob, it becomes uh, 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 quite difficult. Uh, and when you have a population that is dependent on remittances, uh, they will give you stuff, but they will also try and control you from afar. Now, in having said that, not all families, I think to be fair, not all families are like that. And that I know, uh, who are, who will call up and talk about changes, uh, uh, and talk about some of the good things the government has done, and some of the things that they could have uh, uh, provided much more communication. Because I think all the communication breakdown uh, in how laws are interpreted, and how this development we've been on the roll on, uh, on this wagon of development, which is brilliant, but it's costing uh, uh, the fasa more, and it's making people nervous. Uh. And that is one of the things that uh, 
uh, if they don't understand, they will turn. 1982, everyone was for HRPP because they brought something new and they brought that human rights. That was the leveler. Uh, and that was a turning point of politics then. Here, you have uh, another party who has brought something new. Okay, I'm just going to interrupt you really quickly there, Sawi'a, and turn to Dr. Rowani. So, Dr. Rowani, I know you can probably provide another perspective on the transnational community's standpoint. I mean, do you have any reflections on that and maybe how that fit into your observations of the 2016 election? Um, so, I guess, first of all, I think we are very lucky and privileged that Sawi'a is actually joining us on this podcast who is someone who was on the ground during the elections. Um, and so I've heard a lot of commentary and panels from people outside of Samoa, but it's really different, I guess, commenting from abroad than commenting from kind of within. And I guess this comes from the experience having um, conducted the in-depth observation in 2016 um, and now reading all the um, commentary that has been surrounding the 2021 elections. Um, and so I think because we haven't been able to travel to Samoa, and I think um, it'll be interesting to see what the final voter turnout uh, percentages are. At the moment, it sits around about 60 to 62%. And in the last elections, it was 72%. Um, and so there's lots of reasons for that, like temporary... Um, seasonal workers who haven't been able to go home, um, Samoan citizens who are eligible to vote who haven't been able to go home and vote. Um, and so I feel like a lot of them would have felt disenfranchised because they couldn't vote. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like I, as someone who doesn't live in Samoa on a day-to-day -day basis, I also do find that it's a bit patronising for us to tell how people who live in Samoa how they should vote. Um, but I do think that, you know, fast should be or commended um, on what they've been able to achieve in such a short time. Um, and I guess, you know, the idea of having a very strong opposition for people who live in, like, Australia and uh, New Zealand and the US who are familiar, more familiar with those types of politics can see how having a really strong opposition is only good for advancing democracy and ideas and I guess the country in general. Salah, would you have any thoughts on this? So what do these Samoa elections mean for Australia? In part, this response uh, contributes to the question on the role of diaspora or transnational communities overseas. Um, we've been saying for quite some time now, uh, for a few years, on the importance of why Australia policy towards the Pacific needs to take into account diaspora or transnational communities here in Australia. Um, I think it was a conference on State of the Pacific back in 2017-18. We were given the question uh, to young, uh, young academics, what should areas that Australian policy look to? And we, one of the areas that we consistently have said Australia needs to take into account its communities here in Australia, the Pacific communities in Australia, and the way that they influence decision-making back home. 
This is a perfect example of how communities, transnational communities in Australia can influence decision-making back in, uh, in this case, Samoa. Um, whether we like it or not, this is the state of politics that there is today. And we've seen it in where we now have a clear divide in the country. Uh, there is those who are supporting FAST and those who support the, the government. Uh, but it, it's something that uh, Australia needs to reflect upon, um, that it does have a Samoan community in Australia uh, who do serve uh, their country and their families uh, from, from here uh, in Australia. And they, they, they could utilise or incorporate the work of uh, the transnational community here in Australia in their efforts back uh, in Samoa. And we're saying here, if they can influence decision-making um, in terms of what Sasawiya calls the invisible hand, then they could also use, uh, utilize them in bringing about good, you know, in terms of what can we do in terms of the COVID uh, situation, what can we do in terms of climate change, how we can work together, uh, how Australian communities can work with Samoan communities or communities in Port Moresby. So that's one area to, to, uh, to take a look at in terms of um, why this election is important. Mm -hmm. uh, there have been various commentary that uh, there's an increasing role of uh, party politics now, the increasing role of diasporic or transnational communities uh, and their influence of um, Samoan politics or Samoan elections. But the, the I still remain firm in the belief, but also the, you know, the, the research thesis that says family politics is at, still, is at the heart of Samoan politics. Um, and I say this, family politics still remains that. Uh, Samoan family is not just the Samoan family in Samoa. It's not just the Samoan family uh, in the village. It's not just the Samoan family that resides in Apia. It's not just the Samoan family that lives in Manukau or the Samoan family in Logan. The Samoan family, as we all know, is transnational. It's everywhere. What we've uh, picked up on in terms of social media and the research that we're looking into in social media, but even just general observation of how family politics is nowadays. That the family are using tools such as Zoom or Facebook Messenger to communicate. And the conversation about elections is not just uh, one person. It's now an international or global conversation that's happening. That's something that... Uh, whether it's for HRPP or FAST, we don't know those conversations. That's what family is. But deep down, when it comes down to even campaigning, if you look at people within the FAST, they are from political family dynasties. If you look into HRPP, they're not just new people coming into politics, but they're also big family dynasties, political family dynasties. So what I'm trying to say here in the end uh, there have been some changes to what we've seen in Samoan politics with what elections saying, but I believe that we still I still remain to the thesis that it's still family politics.
It's family. The families are choosing their votes based on their family member who's running. They're choosing their political parties on who their family members are running for. They're choosing uh, the policies based on who their family and where they belong. I think there's still, and the conversation has been become broader that it's not just in the village, it's not just the Apia family, mm-hmm. and it's not just the Manukau family and the Logan family. But there's also indication that shows, you know, as uh, we're reading in social media, that there is um, financial transaction. But last year, spending time in Samoa, I saw our family funerals are now all on Zoom or now all on Facebook Messenger. We are now seeing all our weddings are all on Messenger. People are watching in, communicating in, and it's not just a TV show. There's a dialogue, a 2.0 dialogue happening. And so this is also not just about elections, but how Samoan society is now, that we are communicating in real time, participating in politics at real time, no matter where space we are at the moment. And I think that's a great fascination that we can also draw out. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, Dr. Romani and Sawia, do you have any final words on the 2021 Samoan election? Um, I agree with everything that um, Salah said about the family, and I um, am very happy and pleased to see how Samoans abroad are still very um, interested and invested in the betterment of um, our country. Um, And so I feel like that as Samoans who are abroad, who are still engaged with our families in Samoa, that we need to be a bit more intentional with our support um, and in the way that we support our families back home. So, um, yeah, I would just leave it at that. So we are? After the elections, uh, it's like a a massive wind has just gone past us. Uh, Things have begun to to settle down now, and now it's time for the parties uh, uh, to fight it out in uh, a court. Uh, As uh, how people expect it will be. Uh, But I'm hopeful that there, that uh, we get to a peaceful ending to this because if not, some other things uh, negative will pop up and we don't want to go down now that way. Uh, uh, we must dig deep and uh, uh, with our family and the Samoa is because at the end of the day, we are not other people, we are Samoans. There is that system that is there to resolve all these issues. Uh, after we come back from court. But uh, right now, I am uh, adamant that uh, uh, there's a bright future for you. Of, uh, we are a growing country. Our democracy continues to evolve. Uh, we shed some uh, of our Samoanness, but at the same time, other aspects of our culture we see being latched, uh, latched on to our political uh, 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 journey here and we will continue as long as we evolve uh, exist our democracy will uh, uh, evolve as well together with us the way we want it the way Samoa has spoken uh, 
uh, I think uh, Salas, uh, in one of his publications, talked about how, uh, you know, with the general elections, that's where you find the pulse of the, uh, <laughs> of the nation. And that's where, right now, it's a little bit uh, iffy at the moment, but I'm hopeful and very positive that we'll come to a, a good end so we can continue business as usual. Yes, agreed, So yeah, I really do hope that we can get to this business as usual end to the Psalm 2021 election. All right, that's all we have time for today. I want to thank you all for joining me on this episode of the Pacific Wayfinder. So we are Louise Masaya Milo, Dr. Rowaninga Shu, and Salah, Dr. George Carter, for sharing your thoughts and knowledge with us. That wraps up another episode of the Pacific Wayfinder. You can find a link to this episode on our website, pacificsecurity.net. You can also find us on Facebook at Australia Pacific Security College and on Twitter at PSC underscore ANU. And you can listen to the Pacific Wayfinder on Google, Apple and Spotify podcasts. Our theme music is the song Tabaran by Not Drowning Waving. And please tune in next time for more discussions on the Pacific Wayfinder.